Okay, this is something Fleming learned from Hobart Smith and that he taught me. That's the banjo playing of musician and historian Stephen Wade, who was featured on our last episode. It's a tune he learned from Old Town School teacher Fleming Brown, who had learned it from Hobart Smith, the great traditional singer and multi-instrumentalist from Saltville, Virginia. In this mini-episode about the musical lineage shared between these three men, the story begins before Stephen, Fleming, and Hobart had ever met. Here's Stephen Wade. And Fleming had stumbled onto the five-string banjo and some recordings of actually uh, Doc Walsh. And he'd heard a record that came out that same year called Texas Gladden Sings Blue Ridge Ballads, which was a ballad singer from Virginia named Texas Gladden and her younger brother, Hobart Smith, and sort of half Hobart, half Texas. And some of the songs they played together as duets, one of them, where you have Texas's high, keening vocal and Hobart's banjo accompanying her, driving it underneath was the ballad of, uh, of poor Ellen Smith. Oh, poor Ellen Smith, how she was found, was shot through the heart like cold on the ground. Oh, the smoke gets to fly and the blood begins to run. Shot my apple sweetheart with a 44 
That was the song that made Fleming want to play. In the same sense, there was a moment. That was the piece. He had to do this. And so he asked Pete Seeger, is there someone around Chicago who can teach me to banjo? He said, well, there's this fellow at the National Barn Dance down at 8th Street Theater, Doc Hopkins. Why don't you call him up? So Fleming called Doc at the station. And Doc said, well, uh, okay, I can't teach you, but I can show you. So Fleming's inspiration to play is through that Hobart Smith recording that was issued in 1948 uh, on Disc Records, which is the parent to Folkways. Now it's Smithsonian Folkways. And in 1963, Hobart Smith came to Chicago to play at the University of Chicago Folk Festival, which occurred at the very beginning of February that year. And that's when Fleming met Hobart Smith. And then that October, Fleming uh, Hobart returned to Chicago to to and stayed with Fleming for two weeks, essentially doing a Midwest tour, which uh, ended with a concert at the Old Town School and a workshop that they did. During the time that Hobart stayed with Fleming, uh, Fleming uh, was hoping to build up a tablature book to teach Hobart's music at the Old Town School because he was a teacher there for 13 years. And so Hobart made the most extensive body of recordings of his life for Fleming. He played piano, he played guitar, he played fiddle, he, you know, he played... He said he could play... He told Fleming, he said, I could play, play anything except a car bumper or a barbed wire fence. <laughs> and uh, they would play the tunes and then slow them down because Fleming was hoping to tablature out from that. came together, uh, and Hobart died in early 1965. So those recordings then were these important documents, and they inspired Fleming for the rest of his life. And before he died, he gave me all the tapes, and he said, do something with this. And the look of pain in his eyes when he handed them over was uh, unforgettable, because he knew these were some of the most primary documents and important documents that he would ever leave behind. So I did. I, I put together an album the called from those many hours the primary performances what I thought of the of what Hobart had done for Fleming and uh, I called it in sacred trust and for three reasons first because of the story I just told you of Fleming handing it to me and saying do something with it and there was something sacred that had to be respected there his wishes the other second meaning level as it were of trust was that if you listen to that album that those tapes, whatever form you hear it in, the 
confidence is shared between these two men of different, slightly different generations. Hobart's born in 1897, Fleming's born in the 20s. Is, there's great admiration between them and trust between them, regardless of whatever differences they had of an upbringing. What do you think the most important thing about uh, playing a banjo is? Well, and, and what way do you mean? Well, uh, for someone just, uh, someone who knows a little bit about banjos, say, but wants to uh, play the old-timey styles, what, what would you say were some, uh, some things he should either keep in mind or uh, would, would help him in playing? Well, I'll tell you. Now, this is, this is kind of a strange thing with me to say because I don't know any music. But uh, the way it was with me, that I just grew up, it seemed like I had a feeling in me. And when I'd hear this old time music, well, I didn't know anything else, you know. For years and years, I didn't know anything about none of this finger stuff. It was all old timey, just like it I played. By uh, fingering stuff, you mean scrubbing? Yeah, scrubbing stuff. Yeah. See, that, that hadn't come out, no nothing about it. Everybody wrapped the banjo. And uh, you see, I'd get around, and get around the old folks that played a banjo. I'd listen to that, and, and I would just full of music as I could be, he just registers on me up and down just like a thermometer. Mm. And you see, I get that in my air, and then I get a hold of that banter. You've got to get a hold of that banter. You first got to get it in your mind. You first got to get the tune on your mind. And now then find it with your fingers. Keep on till you find what you want on that neck. Mm. That's the that's the main part of it. But keep keep that tune in your mind. Just like it's just like you can hear it playing. I've, I've been to the cornfield many of the time. I was a farmer. And I'd hear a good fiddle tune or a good banjo piece. And I'd come in whistling it. And I'd whistle that till my mouth got so tired. And I'd, I'd go home to keep it on my mind. I'd go pretty fast. And I'd go home and I'd whistle all the way into the holler on the mountain. And then I'd hang my banjo be hanging on the wall. Sometimes I'd get towards that and I'd come in whistle right loud. And that banjo would answer me on sure. the wall. And, you know, that sound. I'd go and get her. I kept that right in my mind. And I found that tune on them strings before I quit. Mm -hmm. I never stopped, I never stopped till I found it. Most of all, the reason I call them Sacred Trust because of Hobart learned this music from largely black musicians in southwestern Virginia, both fiddle he got from an ex-slave who used to chop wood at their home, a guy named Jim Spencer, banjo, similarly from a black source, and guitar. And he names them all. He's different than many earlier counts of 
he is, he's actually, actually willing and to identify who he learned from. And he's holding this music in his mind through a person's born during the Civil War, purely through memory and desire. He's holding them in sacred trust because he swears to Fleming. He says, I give you my hand to God. I haven't played that tune in 25 years, and I play it exactly like, you know, the person he learned it from. And however closely he really is playing it like that person before him, it is so important to him what he's continuing and carrying and expressing and, and renewing for Fleming. And so he's carrying them in sacred trust. Down in a willow corner, I and my true love straight. It is while I said according, my love dropped off to sleep. I had. Describe your classroom experience in Fleming's, under Fleming's tutelage. Oh, yes. It was, I'll always remember it. Um, it was in a small classroom on the second floor of the Turkle Room, named after Studs Turkle, and there were no curtains. There were hardwood, bentwood chairs. There was no rug, high ceilings, and big, two large glass windows. So sound bounced all the time, echoed, you know, no matter how many people were in there. And we'd sit in a circle. He'd be in the front by the blackboard, and um, we'd sit around. And the way he conducted the classes, he would have each of us play for him, and then he would analyze and criticize and suggest other ways to play the tune. 
And then he would teach us a new tune by tablature. He, we, he was dragging us by the scruff of the neck into his vision of Appalachian music, and we were going to get there. We had a strike in Eli the spring, and old Hughes, he did say, Oh, come on, boys, go back to work, Lord, and I'll give you two weeks' pay. Well, we put on our mind clothes, hard work again, we tried. And when old payday rolled around, we found old Hughes headline. So fare the well, old Eli Brink, fare the well, I say. I'm tired of living on your dried beef, your tomatoes. I'm going away. Well, Hugh says he owns more mines than these. He's got money for the land. But when old payday rolls around, he can't pay off his men. Take your children out of the Healy branch before they cry for bread. When old payday rolls around, he won't be worth a thread. And it's farewell, oh, Eli Brand, farewell, I say. I'm tired of living on your dried beans, your tomatoes. And I'm going away. And then... Fleming turned over his class to me to teach. Uh, certainly by 75, I'm sure I was teaching his class. And that sense of what surrounds the music was something that I tried to instill in what little capacity I had as a teacher then. His music was so beautiful and so powerful, and he was so compelling as a person that I was very fortunate. And what was so important, you know, wasn't the instrument you had. He said, you know, if you can tune it enough, that the main thing is you learn the music. You buy records and you go visit people. Now, listening to records occurred in this very spot where we are in this building here at Randolph in Michigan. This is where the re recorded sound listening room was. For the library. Of the Chicago Public Library. This main branch of the Chicago Public Library is where the Library of Congress records were kept. And so it was here, looking out that window there on the Michigan Avenue as rush hour buses lumbered past, listening to names, a, a beguiling American names, Thaddeus Willingham from Gulfport, Mississippi, Luther Strong from Dalesburg, Kentucky, these names so very far away. And, you know, and this contrast to the sort of our city environment and thinking about what is this time and who are these people? What is this music? And then... Uh, and it struck me so hard to, to listen to that. And then, of course, those, those records, because they were conceived in ethnography rather than commerce, were recorded in people's homes and churches. Uh, Alan and John Lomax, I was thinking about, and I remembered something that they wrote in the preface or forward or introduction to Our Singing Country, which was a, a marvelous songbook that came out in November 1941. They said, singing in their homes, at their churches, at their dances, they leave on these records imperishable spirals of their personalities, their singing style, and their cultural heritage. Wow. Imperishable spirals.
I hope you enjoyed this special episode on the musical lineage between Hobart Smith, Fleming Brown, and Stephen Wade. Since his time at the Old Town School in the 70s, Stephen has become a prominent folklorist, banjo player, and researcher whose accomplishments include the one-man show banjo dancing and his recent book, The Beautiful Music All Around Us. Check out the episode notes to learn more about the music you heard from Stephen, Fleming, and Hobart on this podcast. The excerpts you heard are from a conversation recorded this past spring between Stephen and Old Town School teaching artist Matt Brown as part of our oral history project with StoryCorps. Go to oldtownschool.org slash StoryCorps to learn more. That's S-T-O-R-Y-C-O-R-P-S. We'll be taking a break next Thursday, so tune in again on January 4th, 2018 for the next installment of 60 Years of Folk, our six-part documentary on the Old Town School of Folk Music. I'm your host, Marie Valindo. Thank you for listening. Thank you.